0: TrueSight High Availability and Disaster Recovery Webinar. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn things over to Mr. Cedric Rawls. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Kellyanne. Uh, So welcome, everyone, to uh, our last iteration in the series. Uh, It is entitled uh, TrueSight Operations Management um, on High Availability and Disaster Recovery. Uh, So we thank everyone for joining. Uh, We know many folks joined now and, and are all set to go. We'll have our uh, presenter Hudson Meeks who will cover the content. Uh, as normally, we ask that everyone who has a question, please place them in the Q&A uh, section of the, the WebEx and that way we will answer them as quickly as possible. For any questions that go unanswered, we will answer them uh, post the, uh, the actual session. Uh, we will also post the recording as well as the content and the Q and A into our communities page. And uh, in a few weeks, I would ask everyone to uh, pay attention as we will post the series on iTunes as well. So uh, with that, I will turn it over to Meeks. Thank you
1: very much, Cedric. Uh, So again, today's session is focused on high availability and disaster recovery for TrueSight Operations Management. Um, and this A lot of the material that you're going to see here has already been covered in previous webinars. There were some updates to high availability and disaster recovery, or mainly high availability, with BPPM 9.5, but we never really took all the material and put it all together in one presentation for 9.5. Um, so we've done that with this, and we've added a few tidbits here and there in it as well that you may not have seen before. And also be aware that this applies to not just BBPM 9.5 but also TrueSight 9.6 as well as BBPM 9.6. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit of, here in some terminology about TrueSight versus BPPM and so forth. Uh, as usual, this session is focused on what we would consider first-level training. It's very much focused on best practices and not details regarding how-to. There are a few areas where we are going to introduce some some details here, uh, but most of the detail and exact how to do things is outlined in the product documentation. So, as usual, this session is intended to, you know, answer questions where you might not be sure from a, from a high-level perspective what the best thing to do regarding setting up high availability and disaster recovery. You know, do you use operating system clustering or not? What are, your, what are the different major capabilities with the product in supporting high availability and disaster recovering? And how, how should you go about, you know, implementing that and so forth? Um, it covers core TrueSight components, Um, and that's focused all strictly on TrueSight operations management. So we're not going to get into other components like ITDA or um, APM capabilities and so forth like that. It's it's focused on the operations management portions. Um, it, It doesn't address every scenario. This is an important bullet for this particular session, A lot of what we talk about here um, is focused on, you know, what you can and cannot, you know, physically do, what what we can actually support and what we can't support. But there's also a lot of flexibility in the product, especially when you start talking about how you might want to process events and how the events flow from their collection sources up through the infrastructure of TruSight operations management. There's a lot of flexibility there. and There may be some things that, that you decide to do in your environment that deviate or are a little bit different from what we talk about in the best practices here. So um, if you've got a situation like that, um, don't think that, you know, you, you have to stick specifically with um, what we've put and laid out here in the best practices. And, and I'll kind of highlight some of those concepts at the right points in the presentation. Uh, prior knowledge of TrueSight components and terminology is definitely helpful. But, again, if you haven't already had a lot of experience with the product, uh, there's no reason to run away and, and, you know, come back to this later. You can certainly sit through this and watch and listen to the, to the presentation and get some value out of it. So our agenda for this session is first we want to go over some terminology. It's important also that we re- review the architecture because after all, the architecture has a lot to do with, you know, setting up high availability and disaster recovery. We're going to talk about infrastructure high availability, meaning the core components, the server, the integration service nodes and so forth. We're also going to talk about patrol agent high availability, when it makes sense to set up high availability for data collection at the, at the patrol agent level and so forth, and some key things to think about there. Um, and then we'll talk about, about disaster recovery, um, and throughout the presentation, we'll be presenting, you know, general recommendations in these different areas and so forth as we go through it. Okay, so terminology, and this is just to kind of clear up the rebranding, if you're not already familiar with it. Uh, BBPM has been rebranded and it is being improved under a product name called Site Operations Management. Um, and it, it truly is, a, it's not just a, a renaming of the product, it's a, a very strong focus on improving quality, adding additional functionality that customers want and all those kinds of things. And today we have both BBPM 9.6 as well as TrueSight Operations Management version 9.6 that you could download. And these these two products, they're basically the same application server code and integration service code today. Um, when you install them, you'll readily see that the titles are different. You know, one of them is going to be labeled BVPM and the other one labeled TrueSight. So from a UI perspective, just from the naming of the product and the titles in the UI, you'll see that. That's the only real significant difference today in the products uh, from a physical product perspective. Um, however, there is a licensing difference, and, and I'm not going to get into the discussions about licensing. So, you know, if you're curious about that or, or you know, want to talk to somebody at BMC about that, then please go to contact your BMC sales representative, and they can talk to you about the license differences and so forth. And in very, you know, quite a number of different customer environments, the differences might be very beneficial to you um, in switching from BPPM to TrueSight and, from a licensing perspective. Um, the value, capabilities, and functionality intended in the product and so forth will continue with the TrueSight brand. Um, and future best practice webinars material, just like this one, will be presented under the TrueSight brand. This is actually the second uh, presentation from a best practices perspective that we've delivered under the TrueSight brand name. Um, the previous one last month was, was – um, Uh, presented in our TrueSight as well. Okay, so just be, I just want you to be aware of, you know, BPPM and TrueSight operations management and what the differences are there. Um, now, terminology regarding high availability and disaster recovery. We want to be very specific, specific here and very clear in what we mean by high availability versus disaster recovery. Um, and and keeping in mind as well as, as we go through this, that you could have both high availability and disaster recovery implemented in your environment, if you wish. So when we talk about high availability, it's typically configured within a single data center. So you're providing high availability of the infrastructure for TrueSight within a, a single data center. Usually support supports a quicker failover scenario than DR would. It is also fully automated. Um, involves two identical servers with shared disk and database. We'll get into more details on that here in a moment. Um, It assumes failure is local to the true site infrastructure. So when you're talking about high availability, You know, in our minds at BMC, we consider that a high availability scenario is handling a situation where you have a failure within the true site infrastructure locally within one data center. And it's not a widespread catastrophic problem such as a data center that may have experienced a massive flood or a hurricane or uh, possibly an earthquake or something like that. Those kinds of things would be fall into the area of disaster recovery. It also assumes that monitored nodes within the data center are still functional. So your managed servers that TrueSide is monitoring and managing um, within the local data center, as well as externally in remote locations, that they are all, you know, primarily still functional and working and whatnot. So that that kind of summarizes the context of high availability. For disaster recovery it's quite different. Um, it's configured across data centers, so it involves two different data centers, typically requires a longer recovery or startup time, typically requires some manual actions unless you've instrumented you know, some things through scripting and, and other, other external mechanisms. Um, It typically includes HA in the primary and secondary data centers, but it doesn't have to. Um, We've architected scenarios where the primary data center had HA, but the secondary data center didn't. Um, You know, I've, I've seen all kinds of different scenarios like that. Are similar to that, so it's not like you have to follow exactly what we show you here. This is this is basically our our overall you know best practices and recommendations, and provides a good foundation and starting point to work from. Um, disaster recovery also assumes failure is widespread and catastrophic, so the, the term disaster really does mean something here. In other words, the data center within which the TrueSight primary servers and so forth and the cluster that they're running in, um, it's experienced some really catastrophic disaster, such as a massive fire, earthquake, hurricane. You know, something major has taken out a large portion or all of the data center, and you have to flip over to another geographic location in order to continue on. It also assumes that monitor nodes in the data center are not necessarily available anymore. So other, you know, servers in the data center that are handling business transactions and so forth may also not be available. Um, that's not necessarily a requirement, but the point there is that we, we don't necessarily recommend that you set up high availability across data centers that are distant from each other. Um, you could technically do that, assuming you have the, enough te- um, bandwidth Um, you know, uh, across the network and and so forth. But generally, we would recommend that that a configuration like that would be set up as as a high availability scenario and across different data centers would be leveraging a disaster recovery scenario. Okay, so um, there's this concept of active and passive configuration. And I think most people already understand this, but just want to make it very clear what we mean by it. When we talk about active-active configurations, we're talking about nodes in, an, in a high availability configuration such that the two nodes or maybe even multiple nodes are all processing data simultaneously. So it's a scenario where you know, node number one in the uh, cluster, if you will, is processing certain transactions, certain events, uh, trended data or whatever from specific uh, patrol agents as, as an example. And another node is processing uh, data from other sources, other agents, other events, and so forth. Okay, So both, both nodes or multiple nodes within an active-active cluster would be processing um, you know, data simultaneously and so forth. Uh, data being processed across nodes in the HA configuration is also unique per node as I've described here. In an active-passive scenario, we're talking about only one node within the cluster or HA configuration is processing data at any one single point in time. Um, So only one node, you know, the primary, primary node basically would be processing data, and when a failover occurs, the processing is shifted from the active node that has experienced the failure to the passive or standby node, and that node becomes active at that point in time. So only one of the nodes um, is actually active and functioning and in processing data at any one time in an active-passive type scenario. Also, configuration involves a primary and a secondary node where the secondary node acts as, a, as what we call a hot standby. Okay, so just to make sure that you know, those terms are clear, we're gonna talk about you know, what the different components um, within the BP or within the TrueSite stack, you know, which which actual processes and components can be supported with active and passive type configurations and which ones cannot. And it's important to understand those terms before we get to that. Um, it's also important to understand the basic architecture of, of TrueSight um, because ultimately it's this architecture that you're wanting to set up high availability and disaster recovery for. Okay. And as we go through this, I urge you to think in terms of not only just the architecture and, and setting up you know, high availability for each one of the different components and whatnot, but it's also important to think in terms and probably more important to think in terms of setting up high availability and disaster recovery for the functionality that the various components provide. Um, and there's a few key points you know, about that that, we'll, that I'll try to highlight as we go through this. So at a very high level, as as many of you probably already know, we've got a TrueSight server that's processing um, performance data, generating baselines, generating predictive alarms, and all those kinds of things, um, supporting things like uh, 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 service modeling and and, all the kinds of things that, that the TrueSight application server provides. And it has some database related to it. We'll talk about Oracle and and Sybase. There's a couple of different things to think about between those guys um, from a high availability and disaster recovery perspective. And then below this uh, main, main server, we recommend implementing what we call a correlation cell here in the middle. This is an event management cell to process events coming in from across the entire environment and allowing you to correlate events coming from different sources in the environment as necessary. Um, And keep in mind as as I go through this, you know, diagram, this is a a simplified view. We've got customers who have, you know, multiple BPPM servers and multiple points in their environment where they may have correlation cells and multiple cells, you know, down at the the lower tier levels as well. So, you know, this, this this is the simplified type version and kind of the starting point of an architecture. Um below this correlation cell server, we've got what are called integration service nodes, and they process events as well as trended data coming in from patrol agents. They could be processing events coming in from other sources and trended data from other sources as well, okay? Um, and keep in mind as, as, you, you know, work, as we work through this, there's different use case scenarios. For example, With the patrol data collection, we have the ability to collect data remotely as represented by this machine here reaching out to the boxes in blue that are remotely managed nodes, meaning we're not dropping an agent or any monitoring software directly out on those nodes. Instead, we're connecting to them remotely. And there's a number of different scenarios um, and and knowledge modules that we provide that you can leverage and that do remote monitoring. And then, of course, there's the scenario where you've got patrol agents installed directly on the managed nodes. In other words, you have a local presence there so that the agent's collecting data locally and it's able to actually also initiate recovery actions automatically um, locally and kind of run in an autonomous mode if necessary as well. Um, So this next slide kind of highlights – the the different components in a little bit more detail. And and the key point on this slide is to understand where we recommend installing a dedicated server or a dedicated host for the functionality that's that's listed versus having um, a non-dedicated host. Um, So the TrueSite server, the TrueSite application server, should be a dedicated host. We always recommend that be on a dedicated machine. Um, Sybase, if you're using the Sybase option, then that Sybase database is installed on the with the application server. Um, it's on the same file system with the application server files and so forth. And the Sybase processes run locally there, as opposed to the Oracle scenario where, if you've installed Oracle, Oracle is installed on a separate machine somewhere in the environment. So your database itself, the files and so forth, as well as the Oracle processes and whatnot, all run on a separate machine. Um, and we recommend that you, you leverage, this a little bit, you know, extra information, I guess, from a high availability perspective, but you, we recommend that Oracle, if you're using Oracle, that um, you have a dedicated instance for Oracle. You would never want to install other applications that are non-true site operations management applications, whether they be BMC products or other third-party products. You would never want to install them Um, you know, their database components and so forth into the same Oracle instance that is set up for a TrueSite server. Um, Correlation cells, generally recommend they be on a dedicated server. Technically, they don't have to be, um, but it's better to have them on some dedicated servers. It could be on virtual machines and sized appropriately, meaning it doesn't have to be a large machine or something like that. I'm not going to read off all the rest of these in the interest of time, other than to just point out that we've also listed over here some extended components, Um, a lot of customers are still using the patrol uh, central technology, which includes an RT server middleware type component. That component can be installed on the integration service nodes um, along with the event management cell and the integration services or service processes um, as well. And I'm not going to talk a lot about high availability for these pieces. We're not really, you know, going to get into a lot of detail on them at all. Um, And and there is information about them in the product docs and so forth. Um, But just wanted to point out that these these pieces can be, for Patrol Central, they can be included in your high availability scenario if necessary. Okay. Um, Okay, so what does a high availability architecture look like at a high level? Um, again, think in terms of functionality and not just the you know the technical pieces. We we have central management uh, or central monitoring administration in in TrueSight, so you can install a TrueSight server with quote CMA and have that as a central point for handling policies. and and other, you know, configuration for monitoring and whatnot. You want to provide high availability for that, and that would be through operating system clustering that we'll talk about a little bit more here. So it's just another uh, BPPM server sitting kind of somewhere in your environment that supports CMA. You don't want to forget, you know, that depending on your level of tolerance for failover and all that kind of stuff, Um, it might make sense for you to set that up in a high availability mode rather than just having a backup server. But if you choose, you certainly could have just a backup server for CMA as well. So you've got options there. Um, And then, of course, the the TrueSight application servers themselves, they sit in an an operating system cluster. And then below that, we've got the integration service nodes, which, again, includes the – uh, integration service processes or services, as well as event management cells, as well as potentially um, RT servers for Patrol Central and so forth. Um, those guys sit below here, and they they the different processes on them. And we'll get into more detail on these here in a moment. But the different processes um, running on these integration service nodes have different modes that are used to support high availability. Um, there's active-active for the integration services or integration service nodes, um, and then active-passive for the event cells. I haven't listed RT servers here, but the RT servers can operate and do operate in an active-active type mode as well. Okay? Um, if necessary, you could certainly set up um, high availability in your, your test and dev and QA environments and so forth. We'd recommend that you do that in a test environment so that you can test installing and configuring for HA before you go deliver it in production. It's not absolutely required, um, but it's certainly a good idea to have some place in your environment where you can, you know, test out and and configure high availability before you put it into production. Um, There's the concept of staging integration service nodes as well that we've introduced with BPPM 9.5. Those guys don't have to be set up with high availability necessarily, um, but they could be. So, you know, you you could have, and you basically accomplish that by having multiple staging integration service nodes that you can point your um, agents to as they're deployed into the environment. And the thing to consider there is that you would want to make sure that the staging policies applied to uh, staging integration service nodes are the same for any two pair that you want to set up as, uh, set up for high availability. Okay, so supported methods, you know, getting down to some process levels and so forth. The, the TrueSite server is supported with an active passive scenario for high availability. It leverages operating system clustering. It also has to leverage a shared file system. Um, and, the, and TrueSide is not supported. Be aware of this, and this is also called out in the documentation. It's not actually supported on VMware with VMware fault tolerance. Okay, so, so be aware of that. Um, integration service processes, and these are specifically the processes for the, quote, integration service and not just the cells and those things. Um, it, it has It supports basically built-in clustering, Now, this built-in clustering is not a scenario where um, instance number one is talking to instance number two and and the two instances are in communication with each other. Um, Instead, these two integration services or even multiple integration services run in an active-active mode and are able to take on the load as agents swing or point their data over to the secondary instance Um, or it could even be a a third or a fourth instance and so forth. So when you look at clustering for these, what you're really doing is you're configuring what we call a cluster configuration up in CMA um, that basically tells the agents where to find the different integration service nodes that it can connect to and send data and events up, okay? Uh, And if it can't connect to one of them, it'll, it'll swing over and connect to the next one in the list, um, and it's, it's literally that simple. Th- these guys can also support a third-party load balancer such that the load balancer sits between the patrol agents and the integration service processes. And that scenario can handle the forwarding of events as well as the performance data up to the integration service node process. Okay? Um, and that's all across, you know, one port and so forth if you – uh, go back and look at a little bit more detail on the architecture of BPPM 9.5 and, and Truesight 9.6 and so forth. Um, the event management cells is a different scenario. They, have an out of, they, they include an out-of-the-box HA um, uh, cell pair that you can configure. We refer to this as a primary and a secondary hot standby cell. Um, and these guys do talk to each other. Um, So when you set them up in an HA mode, you basically tell the primary where the secondary is, and you tell the secondary where the primary is, and they basically keep each other in sync, but only one of them is actually processing events at any one time. And what happens is if if the secondary uh, detects that the primary has gone down, it'll take over the load, and and the opposite will also occur as well. When the primary comes back up, it'll take over the load again. So they're in in continuous communications with each other as long as the two of them are running and they do synchronize, and we'll talk more in detail about that here on some slides coming up. From a database perspective, you've got to be aware that the database is also an active, passive-type scenario, With a Sybase implementation, the high availability for the Sybase database is actually included and handled within the TrueSite server HA. Okay, so it's the concept of a shared disk and the operating system clustering at the application server level that also handles the Sybase um, high availability. With Oracle, it's a totally different scenario. With Oracle, we recommend that you implement Oracle Rack or at least some Oracle tools that, you know, support high availability for Oracle. Um, so there's nothing that we're providing out of the box that is specifically, you know, designed to um, implement some kind of clustering or some kind of high availability for Oracle. Um, that's done by Oracle, you know, Oracle tools themselves. We provide information about how to install it and configure it in an Oracle Rack environment from a detail how-to perspective in our documentation. Okay, so a little bit more detail drilling down on the TrueSight server itself. Um, again, it's, it's set up in an operating system uh, cluster um, in order to support high availability, uh, such that you have an active primary uh, TrueSite server and a passive secondary TrueSight server within the cluster. Um, and they, again, have a shared you know, file system from an um, application server code and, and configuration files perspective and all that kind of stuff, as well as the Sybase database if you're leveraging Sybase. So, again, it's operating system clustering. Obviously, we support Microsoft Windows OS clustering, um, Oracle Solaris OS clustering, Linux clustering, uh, VMware high availability, has also been supported in the past, but as I mentioned on that previous slide, um, the FT capability with with, um, VMware is not not something that we actually support, and we do, again, call that out in the documentation. Um, The basic architecture, you know, shared storage, um, Oracle will be on a separate server, as I've already indicated, and you would use Oracle Rack for that. Sybase, again, is on the shared file system as represented here, okay? Um, these guys should be in the same network segment, in the same domain. We very strongly recommend that. You know, don't, don't, we generally don't recommend that you set up a, quote, unquote, high availability scenario across the WAN or something like that. Um, and the network segment should be redundant. You should have some redundancy on the network segment here so that you have some guaranteed communication between the servers and the cluster. Um, Previously, we'd recommended that you have to have a minimum of 1 megabits per second. Um, We've bumped this up to 100 megabits per second communication across the network. You know, most customers have that today, um, and there's really no sense in in, going down to some lower numbers like 1 megabit per second. Also, a very key important point here from an implementation in, in, like, project perspective you really need to set up HA with the initial install. So if you're going to set up high availability, you need to do it when you first install the product and not go back and try to instrument it afterwards. There's not really a a, a straightforward way to do that after you've already installed the product. Um, You know, certainly there's some things we could do, like, you know, back up the database and um, import it and things like that and, and go through an install process, again, to get it all set up properly in a cluster. But you'll save yourself a lot of headaches. If you're going to set up high availability, then do it, you know, the first time that you install the product in production. And don't try to go back and do it as an afterthought. Um, So some do's and don'ts. Uh, Definitely create a two-node cluster group that is dedicated to TrueSight. This is specifically for Windows. There's there's some key things we want to talk about with Windows here coming up. Uh, Create a unique application group in the cluster configuration that will contain the TrueSite server processes. That's very important, okay? You, we, we don't want you going and adding um, the TrueSite install into the default cluster group, okay? You need to set up a unique application group within the cluster, and that application group will contain the TrueSite server processes and whatnot. Um, also assign a unique IP address and host name to that application group. And that will actually become the host name and IP for the TrueSite operations management server from an external perspective, okay? And this must be a different IP from the host and host name um, compared to the cluster itself, okay? Set up cluster storage resource um, where the TrueSite server files will be installed and this shared storage must be accessible to the two nodes, and this is really quite obviously obvious, but it needs to be accessible to the two nodes in the cluster group, and it must be assigned to the application group for the TrueSite server. Configure the TrueSight cluster service resource with dependencies on IP, host name, and disk resource, you know, referring back to the shared, shared storage there in the application group. Also plan for a startup time up to about 30 minutes in large environments. We've improved that over time. It used to take 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, with 9.5, we see startup times in the range of 10, 15 minutes, even in fairly large environments. This 30 minutes here is kind of a, you know, it's, it's an extra buffer that we've kind of thrown in here. Um, most, most environments, are, I, I think it's safe to say, you have a startup time of about 20 minutes or so now, Okay. Um, but you definitely need to need to allocate for that time and consider what that means to you and your environment um, and account for that. Configure event queuing at the event sources as well. Um, so the event sources from a BBPM server perspective would be like the correlation cell. You would want to set up event queuing there so that events are queued and then they flow up to the BBPM server after Um, you know, the BPPM server is back up. And also, I'm going to point out some other things about how the the, um, correlation cell or a cell like the correlation cell could be used for continuous event visualization and continuity uh, during a failover if necessary. Do not install TrueSight into the default cluster group for Windows, as I've already mentioned. Don't create any additional application groups in the cluster. You know, designate this cluster and make it dedicated to TruSight. Um, And also, don't add anything other than the TruSight processes according to the product documentation to the cluster or the application group within the cluster. Some additional things to do and and consider uh, with Microsoft Windows Windows cluster configuration. You know, limit the cluster to two nodes. Uh, I know with, with Microsoft Windows Server 2008, Um, We're able to, and I think that's with R2, that that, uh, operating system platform will actually support multiple um, nodes in a cluster beyond just two. We haven't configured and set that up and tested it, so for today we recommend that you limit it to two nodes within the cluster. Um, Also ensure identical configuration of the two servers, hardware, operating system version, patch levels, uh, resources, all of that should be identical. Um, in, ensure the nodes in the cluster have the same timestamp. That's that's quite important. You don't want graphs that you know go backwards in time or you know things like that causing problems. Um, install with the virtual IP address and hostname enabled on both nodes. Definitely ensure the cluster configuration type is node and cluster disk majority. Okay, there's vi- different types of cluster configuration that you can pick when you set up a cluster in Microsoft Windows, and this is the one that you need to utilize an um, in, in instrument for TrueSight. Make sure the virtual IP address and host name for the cluster is also in DNS. That's, that's a really key, important one. Um, install on shared storage in a SAN. And that just goes back to, you know, leveraging a span is, is you're going to get more performance out of, out of the product if you do that. Use the virtual name of the cluster when connecting to the TruSight server. Um, and ultimately, it's the virtual name um, of the application group and so forth when you're, you know, interacting with a, with a, a web browser or um, any other components that, that connect, you know, externally into the TruSight server. Install both nodes in the cluster on the same network segment. We've already mentioned that one. Don't attempt to set up an active, active configuration. There's just not any way that we can do that today. Now, we are, you know, working on improvements in future releases to improve high availability and whatnot. Um, And and we we know this has been kind of a long-standing thing that customers want us to improve on, so we are working on that. But for today with the current releases, you know, don't try to set up any kind of an active, active type configuration. Um, Don't use OS clustering if the TruSight server is installed on a VM. Generally, the best practice, you know, we recommend is that if you're going to set up high availability, go ahead and designate physical servers. This is not a must. It's just a recommendation. But if you're going to set up high availability, it's really better and easier for you to set um, set it up on two servers, physical servers, and, you know, set up your cluster across those two physical servers for TrueSight. Do not use a quorum mode configuration other than the node and disk majority, um, and also do not install on the quorum disk. That's, that's a huge no-no, okay? You're installing it onto the, um, the, the shared storage that's associated to the cluster and, and tied into the application group, Okay. Um, a, a quick note here, a lot of customers are concerned from an event processing perspective about the startup time of a failover. So, if, you know, the host major, you have a major issue with a BBPM or TrueSight server and it fails over, uh, that can take up to about 15, 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes in a really large environment today with, with 9.6. Um, and, and a lot of customers are concerned about that, that you know, 30-minute time period where events may not be getting processed. Um, We can facilitate processing events in a continuous mode by handling them through the correlation cell that I showed and talked about earlier on the architecture diagram. Um, So if you have that kind of a need in your environment, think about leveraging that cell for purposes of, you know, continuous event continuity and so forth. Okay, so for high availability with Linux and Solaris clustering, very much the same topics. I'm not going to read through all of these. Um, You can look at these a little bit later if you wish, you know, in the session uh, afterwards or whatnot. This is really repeating a lot of the information that we talked about already with Windows. Just remove the the specific Windows topics like um, adding the node to the um, application cluster group, um, and some of the other things that are very Microsoft Windows centric. Okay, but the, the rest of the things such as having um, two nodes in the cluster, ensure the nodes in the cluster have the same timestamp and so forth, those are all identical uh, requirements in, in configuration settings and so forth. Okay, so what about the integration service nodes, uh, meaning the hosts and the processes that are running on them? Uh, Always install, we recommend that you always install event management cells when you install the integration service nodes. That's an option within the installer. Um, And when you do install them, go ahead and configure them for high availability. So basically, the primary and the secondary integration service processes, not the event cells, but the integration service processes, um, they run in a and an active-active type mode where events and data are flowing up from patrol agents and or external sources um, and going directly to the, the, primary, to, to the primary integration service uh, process. The secondary one could also be processing data, but generally, and this isn't you know, a requirement, it's just a recommendation, we generally recommend that you install these guys in pairs, both from a, an event management cell perspective as well as the, uh, the integration service processes and kind of keep them together in pairs like this because it's easier for you to keep track of where the data is going and you know, what's being processed and how it's being processed and so forth. So you have you know, a primary integration service process here, a primary cell as well, and then a secondary integration process that's not actually processing data unless this one goes down, okay? And the same is true for the secondary event management cell. It's not really processing events completely. It's being synchronized with events from the the primary cell, but it's not actually taking action on those events um, unless a failover occurs. And so when a failover occurs, um, if this entire box here goes down, then both the integration service process over here as well as the cell over here are going to take on the entire load. However, if just the primary integration service process is taken down for maybe you're applying a patch or something like that, and you only take it down, it doesn't mean that you also have to take its local cell down the data coming from the patrol agents, both events and performance data, can flow over to the secondary integration service node, and then events can forward, be forwarded back over to the primary cell without this primary cell being taken down. So you've got a lot of flexibility if you set up this scenario, um, and, you know, you, you can, you know, stop and start different processes from a configuration or patching perspective if if necessary without having to restart the entire box. And that's one of the reasons that we recommend this general uh, layout, you know, from an architecture perspective to support high availability. Um, Use the default event event propagation setting for the IS node. So when you're installing the integration service processes in the cells, and you choose to set up a primary and a secondary cell, um, you also have to tell it how you want to propagate events from the integration services to the cells. And if you utilize the default settings and just specify primary and secondary cells appropriately through the configuration when you're doing the install, it will result in this type of a configuration for you. use a cell, the same cell name for both cells. So this kind of confuses some people. Basically, when, you are, when you're installing the cells, um, you, you, you give it the same cell name. So when you're installing the pro, these two processes on the primary integration service machine, you may give this primary event management cell a cell name something like prod cell. Okay. Then when you're installing the secondary processes, including the event management cell, you will give that secondary event management cell the exact same name. So the cell name for a cell is really just an alias that, you know, designates that cell um, locally on that box and as well externally um, in, an, in what's called an DUR file. And there's a uh, screen coming up that I'll kind of talk about this more in a minute. Um, And you're associating that that alias name with connection information um, in the dir file, and it's the connection information that tells whatever component um, how to connect to this guy. If it can't connect to the primary, it'll fail over and connect to the secondary according to an appropriate IP address and port number. Okay. Um, Configure one cell as the primary and the second cell as a secondary cell that's pretty obvious as, as you're working through the implementation of installing you'll see that install primary and secondary hosts in the same subnet so th- this host and this host over here should be in the same subnet same domain um, you know keep in mind that you're you're wanting to support high availability for this functionality and in order to properly support that you want to make sure that they really are, are close to each other from a network perspective Ultimately, it would be best to have them on the same subnet, although it's not, you know, a mandatory requirement. Configure the integration services in a cluster up in CMA, okay? And, again, when you go to configure an integration service cluster in CMA, really all that results in is a rule set that ultimately gets pushed all the way down to the agents, telling the agents where the primary integration service node is, And if it can't connect to that one, where to go try to connect to a secondary integration service node? You could have up to four integration service processes identified in a, quote, cluster configuration in CMA. Um, And and actually, you could even go beyond that. We've got some customers, I think, that have gone up to five with that. Um, So, again, you know, this layout and architecture is our basic recommendation. If you have reasons to do something different, um, and, and put four nodes in, a, um, in, a, in an integration service cluster, then you certainly could do that. But keep in mind that this concept of high availability for the event management cells is physically, in the product, is physically limited to two cells within our HA configuration. So it's a two-cell, you know, it's, a, it's an HA cell pair that we support. Um, With our HA cell configuration, you can't add additional cells um, to that configuration. If you were to do something like that, you'd have to set up a whole secondary, um, whole secondary um, event management cell pair, and then those those two different pairs don't talk to each other. They don't synchronize with each other or anything like that. Unless you were to try to instrument something, you know, custom on your own. Out of it's not necessarily out of the box. So out-of-the-box HA processes or HA by process, the integration service processes, again, they're active-active. So, you know, you could actually have four of them running at the same time, all processing data, and then you could have a fifth one that's sitting there available in case one of the other ones goes down. So you could set up like an N plus one type of configuration if you wished. Um, Event management cells, again, they're active-passive, and there's only two in the pair. Um, Event adapters, those are adapters that are processing events and forwarding them to the cells. Examples would be like an SNMP adapter um, um, or something like um, maybe an external application that uses MSend or something like that. Um, They can actually run in an active-active mode. Um, So secondary adapters – could be set up such that they're not necessarily receiving events. You could have a secondary SNMP adapter running somewhere in the environment and it's just sitting there not actually receiving events unless there's some kind of a problem and the the application or source that is sending SNMP traps to the primary instance detects that it can't connect to the primary instance, so it fails over and sends the, the SNMP traps to the secondary SNMP instance. Uh, SNMP adapter instance, and, and configuration of that is completely outside of BMC products and TrueSight. That's up to whatever abilities there may be from the source that's sending the SNMP traps, okay? Um, when you think about these event adapters and them running in like an active-active mode, as I've described, um, that doesn't apply to the log file adapters. So there's, there's various log adapters that come with the event management components, Um, and and that discussion around high availability for them doesn't really make sense because they would be running locally on a a, a file system or a server somewhere where you're scraping log files and whatnot, And, and that capability would be included in whatever high availability there is for that particular managed node. RT servers, again, that I've mentioned earlier, they they truly run in an active-active mode, very similar in concept to the integration services. Active-active event cells. Now, there are some customers and and folks in the the, um, field with professional services and whatnot, for very specific purposes have set up active-active event cells, meaning the cells don't really necessarily talk to each other back and forth, They're not configured leveraging the -the out-of-the-box, you know, primary um, and hot standby cell configuration. Um, Instead, they're forwarding events and so forth, uh, propagating events and so forth. We generally recommend that you don't do that. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that it's a terrible no-no, but we generally recommend that you don't do that, and the primary reason is, is that it can break what we call event continuity, Um, And this event of continuity is related to events that are dependent on other events. So think about scenarios where you have a critical alarm that has occurred that has a, you know, critical event associated with it, and then later monitoring detects that that particular parameter is now in an okay state, and that monitoring scenario generates an okay event, which in, out of the box, with our deduplication processing and so forth, so forth, it will automatically close the previous critical alarm. Um, so if if you're going to distribute events, you know across active-active cells, as kind of discussed here, then you have to consider that scenario, and you've got to make sure that upstream you're bringing the events back together. So that the okay events can automatically close the critical alarms. And it's not just limited to things like okay events closing critical alarms. There's various other scenarios where, you know, an event that occurred previously may be dependent, its status and automation of its status may be dependent on another or multiple other events. There's concepts like incrementing counters, how many times has a particular type of event occurred, um, an example might be logon failures you know, maybe you don't want to keep all these different logon failures that are occurring um, when you have a logon failure from a specific box you capture the first one when the second one comes in you increment the counter on the first event and you throw away the second event well now you've got an event dependency situation where you know one event is dependent on another event the proper processing of it and so forth is dependent um, they're dependent upon each other so any scenario like that has to be considered with a configuration like this as well as other types of scenarios such as correlation and whatnot. Um, And if you don't handle it properly through the entire stack, um, then you ultimately could end up breaking upstream event-dependent workflows and whatnot and doing things like accidentally generating tickets where you didn't intend to or not updating the status of events appropriately as you intended. So think in terms of When you think about event processing, think in terms of the entire event management stack from the first point where events start getting collected and processed in the environment for, you know, enrichment and, and, uh, you know, deduplication and dropping unnecessary events and those kinds of things, as well as what happens on upstream from a correlation perspective and whatnot. Um, Built-in HA for the integration services again. Set up the integration services in pairs. Um, install the pairs in the same network segment. This is kind of a review. Install each instance in a pair on separate hardware. Maybe kind of a no-brainer there, but, you know, keep in mind that you can install these processes all on virtual machines. And if you do that, you want to make absolutely sure that you don't have the, the different virtual machines within a in a cluster or a pair. Um, running on the same ESX server because if that ESX server goes down, then you've lost everything for that particular functionality. So keep keep that in mind and always, you know, refer back to physical hardware as to where things are running. Ensure security configuration is consistent. Ensure each integration service instance has resources to handle the full load for the pair. Okay. So if, you know, if you've got two nodes in a pair and one of them goes down, well, quite obviously, the other node in the pair better have the resources to be able to handle the full load. Um, a little bit con- – well, not necessarily contrary, but another arrangement that you could think about is in a really large environment, if you're trying to reduce the number of total integration service nodes and processes that, you're, you, know, that you have to stand up and administer and implement and all that kind of stuff, you could approach the integration service processes from a, what I call an N plus one perspective where maybe the full load requires four integration service processes for whatever reason, and um, you don't want to stand up eight for a complete total redundancy. Instead, you could set up a, a, a single extra one, in other words, an N plus one type scenario, And that extra single integration service node could be your quote-unquote failover node. Um, And so this would reduce the total number of instances that you have to deploy and associated hardware and so forth. But you have to keep in mind what your level of tolerance is for um, outages. So, you know, under this scenario, what you're basically making a decision on is that you're, you're going to tolerate a single only one instance of an integration service node going down at any one particular time. Um, If using a load balancer, consider HA for the load balancer as well. So any any component all the way up and down the stack um, needs some level of HA if the entire stack is going to have HA. You can't just go in and implement, you know, a component such as a load balancer and expect it to expect the entire stack to support HA if you haven't considered the fact that the load balancer itself could actually go down. Okay, um, the topics listed here, they're, they're discussed for the integration service nodes and this is not a, doesn't apply to integration service instances that are running on the TrueSite server. So when you install a TrueSite server, it, you're gonna, it ends up installing an integration service process as well, which we generally recommend you leverage that guy as a staging integration service okay so all of these discussions here are are referencing integration service processes and integration service nodes that are not running on the um, the site server itself. so keep that in mind as you go through these. Um, so what about high availability for remo- remote event? management cells. And when I talk about remote event management cells, there are scenarios where um, you may deploy a cell or a set of cells somewhere in the environment to consume events from some external source such as, you know, SMP traps like I mentioned earlier or some other third-party, you know, uh, tools that generate events that you want to capture into TrueSight. Configuration is very much the same as we've already talked about. Um, Generally, we recommend leveraging built-in HA. You could set up operating system clustering if you wished or VMware HA for this as well, but the, our general recommendation is to leverage the out-of-the-box HA capabilities. Um, and again, it's a, hot, a primary and secondary hot standby. I'm not going to repeat all these points, but there's a couple of things to be aware of here. Um, one of them is that the common cell name is configured in external location. So I talked about that common cell name earlier, okay? You have to think about where, those, where, those, uh, where that gets referenced and where that's configured. So the admin cell includes it, um, the BBPM or TrueSite cell um, up on the TrueSite server in the mcell.dir file. It has to be referenced there as well. Um, the correlation cell may also need to reference that data, So, if you, and it will need to reference that data if you've stood up a correlation cell. Um, so the mCellDR file there also has to be uh, considered with respect to this, this common or, um, you know, leveraging the same cell name as I've talked about earlier. Okay, I've got a couple of slides on this that are coming up here in a second to illustrate that in a little bit more detail. Um, the synchronization, a little bit more detail about the synchronization, and th- th- these points apply not only to um, remote cells but also to cells that are running on integration service nodes. Um, events are synchronized. Timer data is synchronized. So a timer that, uh, maybe you've got a timer that says after five minutes I want to automatically close this, these okay events, Okay. That timer information is automatically synchronized across to the secondary cell so that when the secondary cell has to take over, the appropriate timeout will occur uh, for those related events. Policy configuration data is also synchronized across the cells as well as data class content. And, And as you may already know, the policy configuration data is actually stored in a form of data classes. Um, so that, that content is also synchronized over. That, now, the this, this synchronization does not mean that the knowledge-based constructs, such as the files that, that define the event classes, the files that define policies, the files that define rules, you know, like .mrl files and those kinds of things, that type of information and data at a file level is not automatically synchronized. So it's important that you would would want to keep those up to date, um, leveraging some kind of copy mechanism or whatnot. Now, I mentioned that the the common cell name has to be referenced in the admin cell. The way that's done is is when you run the iAdmin command to add your remote cell, um, whether it be a remote cell or even a cell that's running on an integration service post, um, you want to you want to leverage the the um, the common cell name as I've shown here, okay? And so in my little lab environment, I've got a cell um, a, a set of um, high availability cells, a high availability cell pair that is set up such that their cell name, their common cell name is my HA cell and it references two different machines. One machine is, the host name is actually IS1-HM, and the other one is IS2-HM. So that's the way this configuration would look um, if you've configured in in iAdmin and you ran the iAdmin list cell or dash LC command. Um, It's very important that you get this right, Um, and and enter the data correctly when you initiate the iAdmin configuration um, command to to actually add the cell. There's there's information in the documentation on how to actually do that, or you could even use the the online help with iAdmin by typing iAdmin space dash H, and um, it'll give you instructions on how to actually set it up. Um, And then from an dir file, you really have the same type of scenario. So everywhere in the environment, uh where you need to reference your high availability cell, you would have a you know a cell designator here and your common cell name would be in my case my HA cell and then of course the appropriate primary and secondary servers. Okay? Um, So make sure that this this configuration is set up appropriately all the way up and down the stack for any high availability cells that you create in your environment. It's also a good idea to leverage fully qualified domain names and have these hosts in DNS, uh, just to ensure, you know, connectivity across the network and following a standard that way as well. Um, and I also find it convenient to create a single MCell dir file um, that contains all of my settings necessary and configuration information necessary and then copy it from machine to machine to machine. And the reasoning for that is the more you have to go into a file and edit it in different locations in the environment um, as opposed to just copying the entire file, the more often you have to do that kind of thing, the more likely you're to create a mistake and have to go try to figure out what the problem is. Okay? Okay. So some do's and don'ts on remote event management cells. Ensure the cells have exactly the same knowledge base, meaning the files that contain information about classes, rules, records, policies, and so forth. Also, users and groups need to be configured appropriately as well. Another item that I didn't list here, which isn't necessarily critical, but I would strongly recommend it, is collectors. So, collector configuration, where appropriate, should be the same across the different cells. Also, consider things like actions, um, if you've created any custom actions. And also, consider things like integrations. Um, you know, so, when you're talking about high availability, you've got to also consider the, 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 um, the downstream or the source um, the sources that are sending the events and so forth as well. Ensure the cells have the same MCellDir file contents. If you just copy the, if you create one one uh, MCellDir file and then copy it, um, you, you're ensuring that in a, in a very easy manner. Ensure buffering is configured on all the adapters that send events to the cells, just in case a cell goes down. You'll have events buffered there, and there is a little bit of, of a uh, time lag. In, it's what We're talking like a, in the seconds range or maybe up to a minute when cells fail over. Okay? Um, there is some, there, there's some um, resiliency built into it so that cells don't just you know, easily and automatically fail over to the secondary just because there's a very short uh, four or five second hiccup on the network or something like that. So when a failover occurs, it's a good idea to have some buffering set up, a nominal amount of buffering set up at your sources. And uh, when the failover occurs and and they can't send during the failover time period of just a couple of minutes, they'll go ahead and send the events as soon as the secondary cell is completely online. Uh, Use a common cell name for cells that you install in the HA cell pair. I've, I've hit on that quite a few times, so hopefully you remember that one. Configure HA cell pairs when you install the integration services. So it's a lot easier not only when you install the entire TrueSite stack to configure and install HA the first time around, but that also applies on a component-by-component component basis as well, especially with the cells. Don't install the primary and secondary cells on the same hardware instance. Um, Don't attempt to set up an active, active, primary, secondary HA cells. What I mean specifically here is when you configure these guys to run as a primary and a hot standby secondary, um, it's a huge no-no to start forwarding events over to the secondary cell when it's not active. So don't construct or configure, um, you know, your sources to send events like that make sure that you leverage that common cell name and the primary secondary configuration in your mcell DIR file for any adapters and or event sources that would be sending you cells, including something like mSend. Okay? mSend leverages um, an mcell DIR file as well, so you know, keep that in mind as well. Uh, don't leverage load balancers without considering event continuity, as we've already discussed. You know, technically, you could put a load balancer um, in your environment somewhere between event sources and the actual cells. That, that's technically feasible. And if you're going to do something like that for some, you know, very good technical or business reason, that's fine. Just keep in mind that you've got to deal with the, the whole concept of event continuity that I discussed earlier. Okay, um, high availability for patrol agents. So we've talked about the uh, TrueSight server and its high availability. We've talked about quite a bit of length regarding event management cells and um, the the integration service processes from a high availability perspective. But what about data collection? There are certain scenarios that certainly make sense to set up high availability for the patrol agents. Um, One of them would be vSphere monitoring. The vSphere KM is installed on an agent and that agent runs separate from vSphere. It's not running on a vCenter host or anything like that. It should be running on a dedicated machine somewhere in the environment and not running on any actual vSphere boxes and so forth. So it does remote monitoring. Same concept from a Windows remote monitoring perspective. The Windows KM, the Linux Unix KM also both support um, remote monitoring, so that you don't have to install it locally on every managed node. There's also other scenarios like the lightweight protocols knowledge module, which provides our new you know newer ping capability and so forth. Basically, any other form of remote monitoring, and that may include um, the Oracle KM allows you to do some remote monitoring if you wish. Uh, there's other KMs that do that as well, so. Any use case that's doing any type of remote monitoring, um, you may want to consider high availability for them. And so how is that supported? Well, operating system clustering um, is one mechanism. VMware HA is another mechanism for it. Um, We don't have any out-of-the-box, you know, clustering of patrol agents. Uh, So you you basically would be configuring operating system clustering or VMware HA to support high availability for those guys. Um, Agent-to-Integration Service Connections, okay? Um, So when you set these guys up, the the cluster configuration, CMA, that's certainly a recommended way to ensure that any remote patrol agent can connect into the rest of the infrastructure to forward up events and data. with, and, and, and so how do you manage that kind of configuration? I've talked already quite a bit about CMA and this concept of clustering integration services within CMA. Um, those, That data, that configuration data, as I've already indicated, is basically a patrol agent rule-type configuration that gets pushed down to the agent. So you technically... Could manipulate that with Patrol Configuration Manager, or you could even in in um, you could, there's even an environment, an operating system environment variable that you could set for that. Uh, we recommend not using these different methods here. Instead, stick with the cluster configuration within CMA, and follow that one standard across the entire environment. Some do's and don'ts for Patrol Agent high availability. Uh, Definitely set up HA for patrol agents that perform remote monitoring. Otherwise, you don't have any high availability there if you don't do that. Um, If you're using operating system clustering, follow the same general practices that are already presented for operating system clustering. If you're using HA from VMware, then follow VMware's best practices. Um, If it's installed on a VMware guest, we generally would recommend that you use VMware HA, but you don't have to. Um, but it, just, it, 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 it generally makes more sense to do that because um, you've already got a platform. Assuming, you've already, th- 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 assuming that you've purchased and have a license for VMware HA, it generally makes more sense to do that. If the patrol agent is monitoring technology that is installed in a cluster, then set up monitoring to monitor the cluster externally. Um, don't use any method of HA other than the operating system clustering or VMware HA, which we've recommended here. Don't set up HA for a patrol agent monitoring locally on the node it is installed on. That just really doesn't make sense. Um, You know, if the node goes down, then you need to have a failover uh, node for that business application or whatever that agent's actually installed on. Um, And don't configure duplicate monitoring for HA purposes. I've seen that done in some scenarios. And in, in, this is partly, you know, an opinion of mine. I don't think it really makes sense. You know, it, it, it just generally doesn't make sense to double up on your data collection um, because you end up having potential duplicates upstream and, and so forth. So don't, don't try to configure a scenario like that. Some general recommendations around high availability. Um, install a patrol agent and the OSKMs on all infrastructure hosts to monitor TrueSight components separately. So TrueSight includes built-in self-monitoring, and it's very good. The latest released with 9.5 and 9.6 had some significant improvements in that area. Uh, we'd also recommend, though, that you set up an external monitoring capability, and the way to do that is to put a patrol agent on each one of the infrastructure boxes and monitor those pieces separately, you know, or externally, let's say. Um, and also consider setting up event paths for notification um, that ultimately bypass the rest of the true, true site infrastructure. So what I mean by that is it, it really doesn't make sense to set up um, a patrol agent running on the TrueSight server and then forward events from it to the TrueSight server to tell you the TrueSight server is down. That, You know, that just doesn't make sense. It's illogical. So you'd want to forward the events external from the monitored infrastructure uh, through some other mechanism, maybe another cell somewhere that can send you um, emails or something like that, rather than um, having it processed, uh, being totally dependent in processing only through the true site infrastructure that's actually being monitored. Um, Install the monitor, the monitor KM with the agent on the TrueSite servers. It is still supported on the TrueSite server and will discover TrueSite server processes and whatnot. It is not um, – it's no longer useful to install the monitor, the monitor KM on integration service nodes because it doesn't automatically discover the processes and whatnot. The processes are all very different from what was um, delivered previously with adapters and whatnot. Um, So the the monitor and monitor KM has not been updated to specifically monitor the newer integration service processes. Um, And therefore, it makes no sense to install it on the integration service node. And at this point, we really don't see a major need to install um, or to upgrade that that KM because mainly what you want to monitor on the integration service nodes uh, from an external perspective is whether or not the processes are up and down up or down log file configuration information um, or i shouldn 't say log file configuration information I mean log file you know errors in entry into, in, error entries into log files and whatnot um, and, and you really don 't need that that km the, the built in self monitoring that was delivered with TrueSight does a better job of that today. Um, Ensure that the cluster name does not contain an underscore. That's also an important point. Um, don't use Veritas file systems for large deployments due to performance issues. Uh, we've we recommended that for some period of time. Um, it's not necessarily a, a, a thing that you can't do. We just generally don't recommend it for, for performance issues. Um, never extend raw data retention by, beyond about 8 days, because that can impact IOM performance from an availability perspective. Uh, Meaning high availability and failover. Um, Don't install the monitor. Monitor came on the agent for the integration services. I've already hit on that one there. Okay, so additional recommendations. um, Definitely configure clusters for CMA after you configure integration services in CMA. Clusters meaning uh, clusters for the integration service processes. Um, And and it's the order of configuration that we're talking about here. So set up your integration services first, configure them in CMA, and then go create the clusters. You could do it in a different order, but we believe that that order just makes more sense. Um, Set up primary and secondary HA event management cells in pairs. Um, again, the same cell name. Make sure the knowledge bases are synchronized. You have to manually handle that yourself or set up some kind of scripting to copy um, the knowledge base files. That would be your class, you know, .baroque files, your rule .mrl files, and whatnot. Um, also, sizing and configuration needs to be the same. Use sand to sand block level replication for Sybase HA, that might be a little bit confusing. What we mean by that is um, you 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 want to install the the TrueSite server into a SAN. Well, how do you back up that SAN? How do you ensure that the file system has redundancy, okay? We recommend leveraging um, SAN replication for that, and when you do that, set up block-level replication. And that's especially important if you're leveraging the Sybase option. Um, For Oracle, use Oracle RAC, like I've already mentioned. Ensure the primary and secondary servers have identical timestamps. I I think I mentioned that already, and that would apply to all of the uh, nodes within any you know high availability cluster or high availability configuration that we've talked about here. Don't create clusters as part of the the process when configuring integration services. In CMA, Although you could do that, we just generally recommend a more logical workflow than, than going that way. Uh, never propagate events to one side of a primary and secondary HA event management cell pair at the same time, okay? Um, don't, I, I think I already hit on that point. I'm just trying, trying to reiterate it here. Um, and don't copy installer files to the shared disk in a cluster. Um, technically, you could do that, uh, but generally we recommend that you have the installer files on a on a disk that um, would be like a map drive or something like that. Um, Okay, so disaster recovery. Let's go through some scenarios and and topics on this and then wrap up as quick as we can. We're we're going to run over a few minutes here and I can see that. Um, So general recommendations regarding Oracle, okay. Uh, Two standalone TrueSite servers located in two different geographic locations or data centers. So your primary data center is represented by the green block here, and your your disaster recovery data center is represented by the light blue-colored box. Um, Two database servers running Oracle Database in archive log mode, one each for the standalone TruSight servers. So these TruSight servers are standalone servers. They don't really, quote-unquote, know about each other. There's no... Uh, configuration that syncs them together or something like that within the product. So you have a, have a site primary server here, and this could be a cluster. Okay, so this could be a high availability cluster represented by this box. And then you've got the TrueSight server over here in the data center, the, the DR data center, which should be considered a recovery server. So that if this entire data center goes down, remember the definition of Disaster recovery, the entire data center or a major portion of it has been lost Then you can recover over here in this other data center Components in the secondary data center are for recovery They're not for HA, okay They're they're to recover and continue business after a major catastrophic failure That's that's the general intent of this A storage replication solution is used, okay So file system replication for storage or some kind of SAN replication is leveraged, okay? Um, An Oracle-certified database replication solution is also utilized, and that's external from uh, BMC's products as well. And then in addition to that, another external replication capability that needs to be implemented is DNS replication. So basically what we're doing here is the primary server or cluster Um, over in in the primary data center is collecting and and processing events and data and doing all the things that TruSight does, and it's storing its data into an Oracle database within that data center. There's also file system storage where the application server code and all of your application server configuration files, dir files, pronet.conf files, all that kind of stuff, is, is, resides here on, on file system storage. Okay? And the way that we want to, the way that we support DR is, is we're basically taking the data from all those sources, those two major sources, the database itself, as well as the file system for the application server, and replicating that in a, in a um, you know, some sort of continuous manner, not necessarily real-time continuous, but in a manner that is, you know, updated relatively often based on your level of tolerance for data loss um, over to the disaster recovery data center Um, to a corresponding storage over there to a a mirrored type of Oracle database over there as well um, and another TrueSite server that's installed over there also. And then lastly that's important to this is DNS replication and the importance there is that such that when this data center has a problem, a major problem, we can be up and running over here relatively quickly um, without having to change a bunch of IP addresses and host names and all kinds of things like that across the rest of the network. Um, so that users and any remotely managed nodes that might be outside this data center, um, or maybe even over here in this data center, can automatically you know, fail over and start forwarding their data and continue monitoring and continue business over here from the DR data center. Okay. Some general requirements. Uh, do not attempt an active-active type implementation. Plan for recovery and startup times. Um, use DNS fully qualified domain names. Ensure routing and firewall settings are properly configured to instrument this. Apply the site um, license after the host files on the Trusight servers are all updated. So the, the reasoning there is that you don't want any any kind of access in into the Trusight uh, server over in the DR data center to be available until everything is completely configured and you know the two are basically synced up. Um, Backup all configuration files for the TrueSight and Oracle primary servers after install, after the initial install and configuration, okay? Um, Definitely don't forget that step. Set up periodic storage replication from the primary to the secondary recovery nodes according to whatever frequency supports your loss for data tolerance. So if if you, you know, deem that... Ten minutes of data loss is okay in a major disaster. Keep in in mind, you know, what disaster means here. If ten minutes of data loss is tolerance, is your tolerance, then you only need to replicate every ten minutes. If you can tolerate more than that, then you could increase that or or decrease that frequency and increase the time frame there. Um, Schedule the storage and, and database replication frequencies and times to be in sync So that configuration and trended data and so forth all match up Um, Ensure that a backup is made to the recovery side after any configuration changes are are made So if you make configuration changes in your primary data center You need to make sure that those configuration changes are reflected back over on um, on the disaster recovery side as well And that that may be handled well enough with your time frame of of, um, storage replication and database replication and whatnot. Or if it's not, um, if if your time frame for that is not good enough, then uh, you may want to do a manual copy or whatever to ensure it. Ensure installation and configuration consistency. So installation locations must be the same, drives, paths, mount points, all that kind of stuff should be identical, okay? Event and service impact management cell inputs and whatnot should also be uh, considered and, and consistent across the environment. Um, admin cell inputs, so things like your um, you know, your high availability cell names referenced in M-Cell dir files, up at the TrueSite servers, those need to be the same. All of that kind of stuff needs to be, be considered. And, and also think about things like uh, your package installations and, and repository inputs, uh, CMA, policies, all that kind of stuff needs to be considered as well. And, and most all of this is going to be handled. In fact, all of it is going to be handled by um, database replication combined with your file system replication these are just some key things to think about and make sure that you know you're not doing something that would interrupt any one of those things Oracle requirements ensure the exact same version of Oracle and all other software from an Oracle perspective is the same in the two data centers ensure the exact same operating system versions and patches you just don't want any surprises so make sure everything is the same across the two environments Also, definitely use archive log mode and use an Oracle-certified database replication solution. I've already mentioned that. TrueSite server requirements ensure identical operating system levels and patches and so forth. Same concepts as as I've already discussed here with Oracle. Um, Locate in the same domain with their respective Oracle databases. So, in other words, you wouldn't want to put the DR database in one data center and the DR um, TrueSite server in a totally separate data center somewhere. Put them located in the same domain um, in their respective data centers with their respective Oracle databases. Configure locally fully qualified domain names and and configure identical time zones, locations, and language settings. Again, you've got to keep in mind the importance of time when you're talking about trending data and processing events and all that kind of stuff. Timestamps are very important, so make sure that the time zones and so forth um, uh, and the exact times and so forth match up as well. Install the TrueSite servers on the same subnet as their respective database servers, uh, not only in the same domain, but put them in the same same subnet is is our primary recommendation there. Ensure only one TrueSite server in the DR set is running at any given time. So you don't want your DR database and TrueSite server running uh, while well, the primary server is off-running in the, in the primary data center. that just, You create all kinds of problems doing that, so don't allow that to happen. Implement DR TrueSite servers on different networks from the primary instances. Okay? Uh, one reasoning for that is you know, go back to what the term disaster really means. Is that, is that entire network actually available if there's a true disaster? You've got to consider all those kinds of things. I'm not going to get into all the details of this, but there are specific files that have to be copied over from the primary location to the DR location when we're talking about file system replication. And this is a listing of the different uh, files and the different um, uh, directories and whatnot that have to be copied over. This is also in the product documentation. And one of the key things to think about here, again, is to back up the files at the same time. Um, you don't want to be, you know, back up some of them at one point in time, and then an hour later back up some other ones, you know, at a different point in time, and so forth. You want to make the, these backups and the replication across from database um, from a database perspective as well as a file system perspective um, as close to the same time as possible. For for Sybase, the scenario is very similar, except you don't have a a secondary server that has a database on it in either data center. The the Sybase database resides on the uh, same server that the application server is running on, okay? So the database server processes are all running there, and the actual database files are part of your your file system storage replication. but the rest of it is very much the same. and you've got two standalone TrueSight servers located at two different geographic locations or data centers. and the components in the secondary data center are for recovery, not for HA. Um, and you've got a, a file system storage um, replication here that supports you know copying the entire data set both from an application server configuration perspective as well as data in the database as well as Um, Your your event management cell, MCDB, and all of that is all uh, copied over here, leveraging file system replication. Um, And the disaster recovery points for Sybase are very very much like Oracle as well. The only difference is the specific Oracle points have been stripped out of it. Um, So I'm not going to read through all of these. Or, or you know, talk about every single one of these. You can you know get this list and, and review them again later in the interest of time. I'd like to kind of close here pretty quickly. Uh, but a couple of things to think about, key things to point out here that are unique for Sybase, is um, on Windows ensure that the ODBC connection settings are correct. Okay. Um, another one is you can leverage, or you should leverage the PW Database Archive command to back up the database files. Uh, so. You know, keep in mind that that you're talking about replicating um, the Sybase database from one location to another. Your your best bet is to archive that data and replicate it over, uh, leveraging this capability with the the PW database archive command. Um, and, and from a, a database backup perspective, irrespective of HA or DR, that's also something that you should should consider doing and and using on a regular basis to back up the Sybase database anyway. Um, True site server requirements, you know, again, the servers should be identical, the hardware should be identical, um, configure logically fully qualified domain names, um, identical time zones, and so forth, just like we talked about with Oracle. The same files are important from an application server perspective whether you're talking about Sybase or, um, or Oracle, you know, those, those really don't change. And that's all we've got for this session. We very much appreciate you attending the session or watching it after it's been recorded. Um, Cedric, back to you.
0: All right, thanks, Hudson. I really appreciate it. Hopefully uh, everyone got uh, a lot of information out of this session. Um, clearly it's very, very valuable. Uh, it's also one that has been asked for. So hopefully uh, if people have not been able to consume everything, they will certainly look forward to the recording, which we uh, we should have posted in a couple of days, uh, as well as the content. So um, with that, we will close this out, and uh, this uh, ends the series for our uh, 9596 version. And I look forward to the next series starting sometime in uh, spring, early summer next year. Um, once we get the the next set of content out. So with that, thank you very much. We really appreciate you uh, paying attention and uh, look forward to everything being posted. Have a good day or night, wherever you are. Thanks. Again, that does conclude today's conference. Thank you all for joining us.